Dr. Sarah Masiri is a postdoctoral research fellow within the Women, Work and Leadership Research Group, where she uses mixed methods to understand women's anticipated role in the future of work. Today, Sarah is here to talk to us about how COVID-19 has specifically impacted women. Welcome to the series, Amy Asks, Women in COVID-19. Thanks so much, Amy. Happy to be here. Great. I'm really pleased that you decided or that you were able to make the time for me today. So, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Absolutely. So I'm a, a postdoctoral researcher at um, in working organizational studies at the University of Sydney. And with a team there, I study gender inequalities at work. And we're really interested at the moment on looking at how some of these persistent inequities in work gender-based inequities are being kind of redesigned into the future of work. There's a lot of changes happening in the workplace right now due to technology and other kind of global patterns. Um, And just looking at what that means for women in particular Mm. and elevating women's voices within that conversation. So Mm. that's that's a little bit about the work that I'm doing at at UCID. Sounds great. Great work. So obviously COVID-19 is something that Australia is living through at the moment. We are um, coming through some reducing restrictions and that sort of thing but when we first heard about the what was going on in the world the prime minister came out and he said if you have a job it is an essential job and and that gave me pause because I do work in healthcare and so my job was definitely an essential job regardless of whether Mm -hmm. the prime minister said so or not I, I had to work in healthcare what were your thoughts when you heard that phrase yeah, it's, it's such a good point. You know, as you mentioned, you know, the people that are working in areas like healthcare and childcare and retail really have played such an incredible role in this crisis. You know, they've been at the front lines caring for uh, our sick, our vulnerable, ensuring that we have access to necessary supplies and, and while risking their own health. And as you say, or I, I think you said this, but most of these workers are, are women. Mm, um, just mm. in healthcare, for example, 87% are registered nurses, of registered nurses are women. Early childhood education is over 90% of women. Mm. And I agree, you know, I, I love the idea that they're, they've been called heroes mm. uh, and their efforts are absolutely heroic. But calling them heroes and not essential workers kind of reinforces and extends this long process uh, in society where we kind of culturally valorize women's work uh, without materially valuing it. You know, Mm. we we applaud women for the work they do. Even the ways we talk about mothering is almost in sacred terms. Yet when it comes to paying for that work, uh, that appreciation just doesn't come through in the same same way, you know? And I have a daughter and I, when she was in childcare, I loved the childcare workers and I'm a big believer in it's a, um, you know, you require, it takes a group of people to raise a child. Like it's a, it's not just a, a traditional family unit. Like it's a, it's a broader thing. And they, they were the ones who were going to put a bandaid on her knee when she fell over when I went to work. And they were the ones who hugged her when she would cried or, you know, if she was being naughty, would politely make her feel disciplined. Um, and, <laughs> and I thought that the work that they did was so valuable to me and it cost me a fortune. Pretty much my entire salary would go to the childcare centre, but yet they weren't compensated. Someone else was getting that money. 
is there exactly. any exactly? Um, I was going to say, is there any research on that and and the inequality of, of those childcare workers? Yeah, I mean, it's really shocking how low paid and and even beyond pay, many childcare workers and and women in other feminized industries are in insecure jobs. They have no job security. Um, mm. There is some research on this. You know, there's been some, as we look to understand why women's work is so undervalued, there's been a couple explanations put forth and, and some of them have been de- debunked. You know, a common one is that women are trading off pay for flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't really been borne out by empirical research. So uh, research that researchers that go in and kind of look at that trade-off, it doesn't really work out that it, that women are, are trading off flexibility for pay that balance doesn't actually play out empirically. But also when we explain women's low pay in that way, it also kind of reflects and reinforces instead of challenging the gender inequalities that exist at home, right? Mm. So it it almost normalizes the sense that, oh, oh, well, women need more flexible work because they do most of the work at home. Mm. So that's, that's one common explanation that's been kind of debunked. Another has been this kind of view that, well, you know, we don't want to cheapen that work by paying for it. And that really doesn't make sense as you interrogate it. You know, you look at some of our male physios um, mm. or our civic leaders, many of those are men and, and they get paid quite a lot. So yeah. I, I think this idea that it would cheapen the work also doesn't really play out. So then it, it, it really is just about maybe us not labeling women's work, care work as skilled work. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's just kind of like looking at and questioning those assumptions about what counts as skill. Mm. Um, because the, the stuff that you were describing there, to me, that those that requires skill. Absolutely. When my, I, I spoke about this in one of my other podcasts, but when a midwife said to me, and I had my daughter for two days at that point, they said, she said, you know, you know your daughter better than anyone else. And I was like, wow, are we in so much trouble now? Because I've got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and whether or not they have a degree, a diploma, a certificate four, certificate three, is almost irrelevant in terms of if you put eight babies in a room, you're in for a rough day. And, and yet they do it every day and won't get compensated as much as, say, someone who is the CEO of a big company. Now, obviously, the stakes might be higher in terms of money, but are the stakes higher in terms of young children's education? Because, sorry to steal Whitney Houston here, but they are our future. So oh, exactly. it, it would make sense to support that childcare industry to make sure that our children are being educated at a very young age and also that it allows mostly women to get back into the workforce. Exactly. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, the work that's being done, the stakes are high, exactly to your point. You know, this is society's future. Um, Mm. So it it definitely needs to be valued. Why do you think that they don't value it then like I know you talked about some of the theories that have been debunked but but why would society go you know what no I'm not we're not going to value these young they're generally in their 20s women I think I've had one male childcare teacher and he didn't last at the centre for very long Um, we're not going to value them as much as uh, say I don't know a manage a middle manager in a finance company Right. 
you know, I asked this question to some of my students that I'm, I've been teaching this semester, you know, what they thought. And one of the things that they thought was because of that it might have something to do with credentials. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes, and that doesn't work in the case of comparing to a middle manager, but, you know, we don't have the same credentials uh, in some of these feminized industries, especially in care work. Mm. And, and maybe we should. You know, maybe we should talk about credentials for care workers because I think that there is there is training and there's skill there, and maybe it's just about codifying it mm. Um, mm. and 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 showing it in that way. But the other part is, you know, there is just a gender a gender bias in our culture that I think we'll have to address because when men do come into say the field of education, researchers have found that they they do get paid more. Um, really? And they, they move up faster. There's, they've called it kind of a glass escalator wow. um, as opposed to the glass ceiling that women face in, in men-dominated arenas. Yeah. Um, so part of it is just that gender bias that I think we have to address head on. Do you think that when I look at it now, when I look at what happened uh, when we went into a, a shutdown, if you've got an, a job that's an essential job kind of thing, the people that we really needed were the ones that were in female-dominated industries, such as cleaners, teachers, early educators, nurses, aged care workers, shopkeepers. All of those were industries that we absolutely needed. These weren't people who were able to sit at home and pop on some sort of streaming service. These were people who had to roll their sleeves up and just dive in and get work done. Will this period when we come out of it, change our perspective on what we consider to be essential worker and therefore maybe economically boost what they're paid? It's a big question. Oh, I hope so. You know, I, I think it starts with kind of the beginning of your question. You know, it, it started back in the very beginning of the crisis and calling these workers essential workers, which there was a hesitance, as you mentioned, to do. Mm. Um I'm a little disheartened, to be honest, mm. um, looking at the government's decision to cut child care subsidies uh, first. As am I. Um, at, <laughs> at the same time that they're extending subsidies in construction. And that's, that's you know, partially for the women who are doing those jobs, but also it, it just doesn't make economic sense. No, you know, it doesn't, um, doesn't. Construction is not a high area of job growth. Healthcare and education are. We should be investing in those industries. Mm. So. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the the care workers for the aged care community. As we know who the aged care, or in aged care, we saw lots of different media things of, about COVID-19 hotspot areas within residential care. And I don't know if you've ever been in a residential facility, but they are fairly close quartered and the virus does need a fairly dense area to spread, Mm -hmm. which is what would happen in a residential facility. So for someone to go into one of those those facilities and and, and risk their lives, why shouldn't we compensate them as much as we would compensate, say, a doctor who is doing the same job but in a hospital? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's mind-blowing to think that we wouldn't. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that comparison is is very apt. A bit depressing, actually. (laughs) It is. <laughs> My colleague and I, Ray Cooper, uh, we often start our presentations by saying, you know, 
sorry, but we are the bearers of bad news. We don't really have a, a happy story to, to tell. Yeah. Um, but, but that being said, you know, crises like the ones that we are in at the moment do at least offer the opportunity for change. You know, gender inequities have been so persistent and enduring in the Australian work landscape. And right now is the chance to not entrench those further, but really kind of disrupt them. So even though I don't think that opportunity has been harnessed yet, it, no. it is there. I think we can see that by what you've just said, that the childcare subsidy is about to end, which basically indicates that it's okay for you to go back to work now, not that you weren't working before, and <laughs> you are now going to be paying you know, the, the full rate of, of childcare for that period of time. So... I, I think what you've said is 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 right. We're probably not going to see a change immediately, but hopefully, with voices like yours and mine out there, we might begin to tap away at it. And and also, we've got you know women in in politics, and that hopefully can push that message a bit further for us as well. Is there anything that women can do to say, hey, we're not being treated equal here when it comes to to pay and equality? Um, socially and economically supported or looked at in a fair way? You know, I I think women are doing a lot. You know, there's often one of the things that comes up is, you know, women should negotiate more for more money. And, and of course, that's always good, you know, to, to, to talk about being empowered Mm -hmm. at an individual level. But I, I, I think we've put a lot on individual women and, and to be honest, when women do negotiate for higher salaries, Mm -hmm. uh, similar to men, they don't, they're not responded to in the same way that men who negotiate for those salaries are. So I would, Mm. I would say women are doing a lot. Maybe men could join in on the fight a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like with the, it's not me. uh, What was the movement? Me too movement it sort of almost went the pendulum swung the other way into well don't start thinking that every man is a perpetrator and and that was never the intent of the of the movement but we want to make sure that if we are going to bring men into the um, the conversation and and we have seen that happen with pay parity that even before COVID-19 when certain radio hosts and I think there was also a TV series as well when someone realised that the main character was being paid less than the supporting character because one was female, one was male, that there was a discussion about it. So I, hopefully having the discussion just pushes the momentum a little bit forward for for the women and actually for all the workers. I'm not even going to just say for women but for all the workers that we called out as heroes because while they are, we should compensate them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they deserve to be paid for what they're doing. It's their job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for talking to me today, Sarah. We're going to pick up with our our next episode where we we dive a bit more into some other topics. If anyone has any questions that they want me to ask Sarah specifically, just pop over to my website in the Contact Amy form. You can use a fake name, try and use a real email if you can so that I can email you back, but you don't have to, and pop a question in there. And if I have any, then I'll ask uh, Sarah those questions. Are you happy to come back on the show, Sarah? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you.